Well, good morning again. Grab a seat. It's good to see everyone this morning. I guess the nice part about the summer season and summer vacation season is we get a lot of uh, space to stretch our arms on Sunday morning. Uh, you have you have all the room in the world, right? Um, but it's good to see everybody today. Last Sunday, we had an interesting Sunday morning just before uh, the worship service began, and we kind of have been piecing the puzzle pieces together throughout the course of the week, trying to figure out what went on. We noticed early in the morning last Sunday that we had no power here. Now, thankfully, the power came on about 20 minutes right before the worship service began, but I guess locally there was a power surge that uh, impacted a lot of things. It blew out our computer. It messed up our sign out front. It messed up some outlets here in the church. And uh, we've been finding, throughout the week, we've been finding more and more things in the church that were impacted by that, and same was the case for some of our neighbors as well. So it's been a little bit of a, a, you know, kind of like a puzzle that we've been discovering throughout the course of the week, but thankfully we've gotten during the course of the week some of those things back online. We also had our uh, our picnic this Friday night in the pouring rain, so that picnic ended up being an inside picnic, but that was okay because for inside picnics the rule is, I don't know if you knew this, outside picnics you grill food. Inside picnics, you serve pierogies, right? So that's what we did. We served pierogies, and that was a lot of fun. And we have some additional picnics coming up. And uh, and uh, last night, and I'd, like, I'd encourage you to be praying about this. Maybe you already saw some of this, because I did post it to the church's Facebook page. But many of you know that we have our church plant that we've been working with in West Conchahawken. Uh, uh, last fall, we launched that. And uh, last night, we had an outreach event to the community. We just showed and uh, uh, just an outdoor movie, and we had some help uh, from our sister church up in Allentown. They, they came down and helped us put that off, and we were able to uh, connect with a, a nice segment of the community there in West Conchahawken, and uh, it was neat because it was scheduled to start at 8.15, and at 8.15, Dylan and I were looking around, and the other leaders were looking around, and there was just one neighbor that showed up with his daughter in a wagon. We're like, all right, all this, and we got we got one one neighbor, and one daughter, one wagon, and one minute later, that uh, a whole bunch of people started filing in. You just saw a whole bunch of kids with their pillows and with blankets and things like that. And it's like the notice went out to freak us out, and everybody come one minute late, and uh, it ended up being really well attended. So we were encouraged by that. It was fun to partner together with some other churches and do that. So be praying about that. That church was in West Conchahawken was, was dead and gone several years ago. So it's exciting to see now that we're past fixing up that building that we've been able to connect with people down there. And the, the truth is it's primarily our church family here that has been sending volunteers down and, and help down to, to get that going. We do have help from other churches, but the main people that have been helping and serving there are folks from Core Creek. So continue to do that. Thank you for your help. Uh, we appreciate it, but that was definitely an encouraging thing to see last night. Now, today we're continuing our look at what we've been talking about uh, during the course of the summer here. We've been talking about this idea of who is God. And uh, for a group of weeks, we were taking a look at just a variety of things that the Scriptures reveal to us about who God is. And now we've been transitioning that to uh, describing what God is like. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at things that are referred to as attributes of God. So things that God possesses 
in perfection. And in fact, some people don't refer to these things as attributes. Some people I've heard just simply refer to these things as the perfections of God. And so we've talked about things like the fact that God is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. We've talked about the fact that God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. And by the way, one of the attributes we're going to look at today has a similarity to, to omnipresence. We'll get to that in a few moments. But we've talked about uh, other things as well. And today we're going to be looking at several additional attributes of God as we just kind of wrestle with who God is and what he's like and how he uses these attributes to bless you and to bless me and to bless all his children throughout the course of this world. So if you would, let's start off today by looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 13, and uh, I'll read to verse 16. Now, we'll be revisiting this short portion of Scripture uh, in, in just a few moments as well, and we'll be looking at some related Scriptures also. But for starters, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 13, uh, and I'll just read down to verse 16. This is what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you just for the beauty of this time of year, the summer months where we're just appreciating your creation in in a certain way, Lord, that we only appreciate, it seems, during this time of year. We often have brought to our attention this time of year. But we're also grateful, Lord, that this is a time of year where family and friends are often able to, to reconnect in a variety of ways. And, and sometimes this, this is uh, uh, just a time where we have the privilege to enjoy time away or, or vacations or things like that. And even our church picnics that we've been enjoying over the coming weeks Lord, we're grateful for all of these things because it gives us the opportunity to fellowship with one another as a reflection of the fellowship that we have with you. And Lord, we pray that as we carve out this time this morning, that we set aside this time, Lord, to honor you and to glorify your name and to worship you. And we pray that you would teach us more about yourself as we look at the main scripture we're looking at today, but also the supporting scriptures that, that go along with it. Lord, we pray that our love and our appreciation for you would grow, and we're just grateful for the privilege to be able to gather together today to worship you, just as the early church did on the first day of the week. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for this time, and we commit it to you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look through the Scriptures, particularly when you look at the early portion of the Scriptures, one of the things that you'll notice right away when it speaks about God's creation and when it, it, when it speaks about how God intentionally has created you and me, the Scripture tells us that we have been created in the image of God. We've been created in God's image. And there are many ways that we reflect uh, Him or resemble Him, uh, many ways that we reflect His attributes. Scripture also encourages us to, uh, to seek to be like Him in how we see things, in how we treat things, and in how we value things. 
And when you look at how God is strengthening us, we're also told in Scripture that God is empowering us to navigate life like He wants us to. But we also need to acknowledge the fact that we're learning to be more like Him. And in this process of learning to be more like Him, we also have to recognize that He is far above us, and He's the perfection of all the attributes that we're trying to emulate. And while some of his attributes can be incorporated into what we value and into what we do, other attributes can't be replicated because they're unique to God alone. They're things that can only be said of God. For example, God teaches us to be holy because he is holy. And we'll talk more about holiness in just a, just a couple minutes, but that's an attribute that God actively empowers us to model. That's something that he empowers you and me to model, his holiness. In fact, he tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we become holy in his sight, that when he looks at you and when he looks at me, if we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're seen as holy in the sight of God. But Scripture also teaches us, and these are the other two attributes we'll be looking at today, Scripture teaches us that God is also imminent and immutable. Uh, and those are attributes that can be appreciated, but they can't be copied. Now, I'll define what those terms mean in just a moment, but I want to say this just at the outset, that God's imminence and God's immutability, those are attributes that belong to God alone. They can't even be copied. I can't copy them. You can't copy them. We do not possess those attributes. So again, as we continue our look at who God is and what God has done, we're going to be looking at those particular attributes today of his holiness, his imminence, and his immutability. And I want to start us off today by looking at the fact that Scripture tells us that God is holy. So consider that concept in your mind. And even before we reread the Scripture we just looked at, I want you to think about what you think that means, the fact that God is holy. What do you think that actually means when Scripture reveals to us that God is holy, that God is the perfection of holiness. Let me reread from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 13. We just read it a moment ago, but it's short, and I want to reread it again with emphasis on a couple of the lines here. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So let's pause there for just a moment. Holiness is a very valuable concept to understand, but it's actually something that's often misunderstood. It's actually something that is, in certain contexts, maligned when you actually look at how people describe holiness. But Scripture tells us that God is holy. He is holy. That means that God is set apart from his creation. So when scripture tells us that God is holy, think about this concept or this idea of God being set apart. He's set apart from his creation. In him there is no sin, uh, nor is it possible for him to sin. When the Lord judges sin, he's not being hypocritical about it, because by doing so, he's doing something that's in line with his nature, because he is the perfection of holiness, and he's the standard by which right and wrong are measured. And when you look throughout the scriptures, one of the, the main things that God is praised for is his holiness. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. It says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what the scripture tells us. And when you look at what scripture tells us about God, and then you look at how we're called to live in light of what that has revealed, one of the things that we're told is that God delights to make us holy. And that kind of blows my mind when I think about the nature of God and when I think about the things that Scripture tells us about Him, about the fact that He's holy, that He's set apart. And when you look at the angelic beings praising God for His holiness, and when you look at the Old Testament prophets and leaders praising God for His holiness, and when you read through the Psalms and God's praised over and over for His holiness, it's amazing to think that one of God's aims, one of His goals, is for you and me to also experience holiness. And in fact, He makes us holy when we trust in Jesus Christ. He sets us apart. Jesus died in our place. When Jesus died in our place, he atoned for our sin, and we were sanctified and made holy as we trust in him. I like what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. It says, and by that, we have been sanctified. So that, again, means to be made holy or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And when you look at the history of, of God's dealings with humanity, when you look at the history of mankind all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, through the era that we live in right now, God has always called his children to live as set-apart people. We're called to be obedient children of God who can now see things like he sees things. We've been empowered to no longer live in the ignorance that we once lived in, but to conduct ourselves with a, a, a set-apart mindset and a set-apart lifestyle that reflects the presence of God within us. During the Old Covenant era, when you look back through the pages of the Old Testament, the Lord repeatedly encouraged the people of Israel to live distinct and set-apart lives and distinct and set-apart uh, you know, in, in their beliefs. He wanted them to be distinct and set-apart in their beliefs as well from the, the pagan nations, from the pagan neighbors that surrounded them. He did not want the people of Israel jumping into the attitudes and actions and the beliefs of the neighboring nations that were around them. The Lord encouraged them to be set apart. And in fact, there were a variety of things that you can look through in the Old Testament regarding certain ceremonial things that the people of Israel were required to do that were meant to just illustrate the fact that they were being called to live set apart lives that were distinct from the people around them. But human nature is such that what did the people of Israel decide to do? Many of them chose to embrace the patterns and mindsets and practices of the pagan neighbors that lived around them. They wanted to be like their neighbors. They wanted to not live set apart and distinct. They wanted to be just like the nations around them. Now you look to the era that we live in. We live under the new covenant, Scripture tells us. And here in this particular era, is anything different in that respect? I mean, hasn't God still called his church to live set apart, distinct lives in this world? And what's my struggle and your struggle? And what's been our struggle all throughout the course of our lives? We look at the things of this world and they tempt us. And we think, all right, maybe in this area or in this moment, I know better than God. 
And maybe I can go in this direction with my life, even though the Lord tells us in his word that I should be going in this direction. But how about I go in this direction, at least dabble my toes in the water and kind of see what it's like and just confirm and make sure that God was right when he told me to go in that direction. But let me just check it out for myself. And then one way or another, I'll land where I need to land. And I know that in my life and in your life, it's often a struggle to not adopt the mindset or the practices or the attitudes or the actions of the world around us because we're surrounded by these things all the time. And there are a variety of things in day-to-day life that at least on the surface, I think at times can look good and look fine. But then when you look at what the scriptures actually tell us, the Lord tells us in his wisdom, here's the plan I've outlined for you. And he's called you and he's called me through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to be obedient to him. And that obedience is going to require faith. We're going to have to faith, have faith that the Lord is actually communicating truth and wisdom to us and that what he said is actually accurate because it is a genuine struggle to not go the way of this world. We're being encouraged not to welcome ungodly patterns and ungodly beliefs into our day-to-day lives. And in my own experiences, and I'm sure you have your own stories as well, but in my own experiences and in just observing the experiences of others, I've often seen attempts to, to emulate the holiness of God. I've seen those attempts criticized at times by those who I think maybe feel a sense of conviction that that's not a priority in their lives. I remember when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ and I was growing in my faith, when I really became serious about my faith, I've mentioned this probably many times at this point, but I was in high school. I was 15 years old when I became serious about my faith. And uh, I remember how difficult that was. And obviously, as an adult, I still feel peer pressure to a degree, but it's nothing like what I felt during that era. During that era, the pressure to conform is so, so strong. And I remember praying on a daily basis, Lord, help me to follow you in a context that does not support me as I'm trying to do this. And I can remember early in those days how I felt maligned or made fun of or made criticized. But it was also interesting because I watched as I lived out those convictions how gradually those words of of maligning or malignment, I don't know if malignment's a word, but I'll use it. And if it's not a word, let's make it one. Um, But how gradually people started to actually show me respect as I lived out my convictions, even if they disagreed with them. So I thought that was kind of interesting to observe that and to see that. But I remember when I was pastoring up in northeast Pennsylvania, there were uh, two elderly ladies in the church who were sisters. And um, those two ladies, they shared a home, and uh, they loved the Lord, and they wanted to do their best to put the Lord first in all aspects of their day-to-day lives. And it was very important to them to be a witness for Christ to their neighbors in particular. And as they were witnesses for Christ to their neighbors and to their neighborhood, one of the things that they would often do is offer people a ride to church with them on Sunday mornings if people wanted to come and worship Christ together with them. And some people would take them up on that, and some people would say, well, you could take our kids with you, but we don't really want to go personally, so they'd send their kids, and and that would be fine. But they also would tell me they had one particular neighbor who would give them a lot of trouble about it. And he would always make fun of them. And do you remember... um, Back in the 80s when Dana Carvey would impersonate the church lady on Saturday Night Live. You remember Dana Carvey's impersonations? Some of those were pretty funny. Uh, and they, now they didn't watch Saturday Night Live, so they didn't know who this neighbor was referring to. But they, they said, you know what he calls us all the time? 
And I was like, what? And they said, he calls us the church ladies. I was like, the church ladies? I was like, as in like, like Dana Carvey's impersonation from Saturday Night Live? And they're like, what is that? It's like, all right, well, I think I know what he's referring to you as. But the point was that all they were trying to do was honor Christ and, and bless their neighbors. And they sometimes when you try and live that set-apart, that distinct life where it becomes very obvious that Christ is Lord of your life, that Christ is Lord of your heart, that you follow Jesus in all contexts, you have to understand that there are going to be times when you will be maligned because of it because this world has different priorities from what Christ is trying to teach us. And if you just look at your own life, you can examine the fact that at one point in your own life, you had different priorities than you have now. The only reason we have different priorities now is because Christ has opened up our eyes to begin valuing these things. But the holiness of God is something that the Lord empowers us to experience. He blesses us with His holiness. He calls us holy in His sight. And He invites us to live a set-apart, distinct life in this world because that's what holiness is is all about. It doesn't mean you're better than anybody. It just means you're trying to honor God even if the world around you goes in the opposite direction. But be aware of something in the midst of this. If you really want to live a life where Christ is Lord, if you really want to live a life where Christ is preeminent in your life, and that becomes noticeable, and that becomes a distinctive by which other people observe your life being governed, keep in mind you have an adversary. And your adversary is not other human beings. There's no human being on this planet that is your enemy. Scripture makes that clear. You do not have human enemies on this earth. There are people on this earth that love Jesus and people on this earth that haven't met him yet, but that we pray will meet him and know him and become our spiritual family together. But we do have an adversary, and Scripture tells us that our adversary is the devil himself. And what the devil loves to do is that Scripture tells us that he loves to roam this earth looking for people to devour. He's looking for people that he could encourage to embrace worldliness, even Christians. He'd love if you as a believer in Jesus Christ could make 20 steps in the wrong direction and embrace worldliness instead of honoring Christ. If you're trying to uh, practice holiness, if you're trying to live set apart from the, the sinful practices of this world, keep in mind your adversary wouldn't mind devouring you and discouraging you from doing that. Satan's goal for us is for us to minimize or to devalue God's holiness so we don't think about it a whole lot. And then to forget that in God's eyes, we are already seen as holy. Now, God recognizes that you and I make mistakes all the time. You know, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. So we make mistakes on a daily basis. But again, he sees us as holy because he understands and knows in his foreknowledge and in his eternal plan what he's transforming us to be like. He's transforming us to be like Jesus Christ. He's transforming us to reflect the heart of Christ in all areas. And ultimately, there's going to be a day in eternity when you and I are not going to struggle with sin any longer. We will one day experience the perfection of a sinless life in eternity, in heaven, in God's presence for all eternity. But in the meantime, Satan likes to influence us to forget the holiness of God and to forget that God already sees us as holy. He's already looking at the ultimate outcome. Because if we could forget how God sees us, then we'll stop seeing ourselves that way too. If we can forget that God is holy and not even think about that, holiness won't be a priority in our day-to-day -day lives. If I can start seeing myself from the perspective of this world, I'll probably start living like 
the ways of this world that the Lord has rescued me out of. And I'll probably beat myself up and disparage myself and treat myself poorly because I'll forget that in God's eyes I'm already seen by virtue of the ultimate outcome. The Lord sees me and sees you as holy if you trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the direction he's trying to steer your life, and that's the direction he's trying to steer mine. That we would live a set-apart, distinct life in the midst of this world. Even though you and I are bombarded from every direction with temptations to go in an, in, into areas that we don't belong. You ever, a lot of times when we pray, what are we doing? A lot of times we're asking God for things. When you're praying, when I'm praying, I think a lot of our prayers are focused on asking Him to either do something or alleviate somebody's suffering or alleviate our suffering or to meet someone's need or to meet one of our own needs. But have you ever taken time in your, in your moments of prayer just to praise God for His holiness? Just to acknowledge the fact that, Lord, You are holy. And I want to give you praise for the fact that you're holy. Again, the scriptures that we looked at just a few moments ago, particularly Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, what does it tell us is going on all around the Lord? He's being praised for His holiness. And I think it's healthy for us to praise God for His holiness and to likewise ask Him for the grace to reflect His holiness in our day-to-day -day lives. It doesn't mean to be judgmental toward other people. It simply means to say, Lord, You are set apart. You are distinct. And you've called me to live a set-apart, distinct life in this world that reflects your heart in every context that you place me in. Please give me the grace. Please empower me to do so because it's hard and it's not easy and it's challenging in the midst of this world to actually do that. But God is holy. And I'd encourage us to be people who praise Him for His holiness. Now, there's something else that Scripture reveals to us about God, and that's this. And I don't know if this is a term that you use too often. It's certainly not a term I use very often. But Scripture reveals to us that God is imminent. And notice that there's an A there. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. Not I. I, you know, when we talk about the imminence of Christ, um, oftentimes we're talking about the fact that Christ can imminently return in the sense that He could come back uh, at any moment. Right? Scripture tells us about that. That's spelled with an I. But... We're talking about the attribute of God's imminence this morning, and that's something different. Well, what is God's imminence? Let me show you a couple scriptures that illustrate the imminence of God. In Colossians 1.17, it says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of God of his power. So both of those scriptures are illustrating something for us. They're illustrating actually several things, but one of the main things they're illustrating is what we refer to as the imminence of God. Now the imminence of God is an attribute of God that certainly we should appreciate, but we can't copy. You can't copy his imminence. I can't copy his imminence. It's an attribute that belongs to God alone. And when we speak of God's imminence, we're talking about the fact that God has sovereign control over his creation and that that sovereign control extends everywhere at once. He's not just in sovereign control a little bit over here, but not over here. He's got sovereign control over his entire creation and it extends everywhere all at once. Meaning he is distinct from his creation, yet he's present in his creation upholding it 
by his powerful word. And that's what scripture tells us, that the Lord's upholding his creation. He's everywhere at the same time and in his sovereign power, upholding his entire creation all at once by his powerful word. Both the apostle Paul, we see him referenced here in, or speaking in Colossians chapter one, and the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, they speak of the attribute of God that, that we refer to as his imminence when they make a point to express the fact that God the Son, Jesus Christ, displays this perfection of God by holding up all things, by holding all things together, upholding the universe by the word of his power. And again, this is an attribute of God that I don't typically hear talked about all that much. I hear about some of his at other attributes spoken of, uh, but this attribute is one that tends to fall uh, just a little bit below the radar. But when we, when we dwell on the practical implications of this perfection of God, I imagine, particularly if your personality type is anything like mine, your heart will experience a greater sense of peace and a greater sense of contentment in this world when we start to recognize that God is imminent. Let me give an example from my own life, and I hope this will help somebody else. But this is how the Lord uses this attribute to minister to me, at least in one particular area. But from the time I was young, I have tried to juggle many tasks at once. Let me just ask my wife if that's a true statement. Uh, she's shaking her head because that's an understatement. I actually uh, was interviewed by somebody just recently for a podcast, and he asked me, um, he said, in addition to the main things that you do, you know, what else do you have going on? And my wife laughed when she heard the recording of that question uh, because there's kind of a lot of things. And, and, and um, just from the time I was young, I've always tried to juggle a lot of tasks at once. And I don't think that I'm doing that, but it seems to happen that way. And if I'm honest with myself, I must like that because it's a repeated pattern in my life. I can't even pretend to not like it because I keep going in that direction. So it must be something that I like. I just readily accept a variety of responsibilities and then I try and work hard at those responsibilities and do the best that I can to fulfill them, but then something starts to happen down the line that is unhealthy. And what ends up happening if I don't course correct along the way is inevitably I come to a spot where I realize I've taken on too much. I've said yes to too many things or I've tried to do too many things all at once and I'm trying to sustain too many things in my own strength and in my own power, and the mental weight of that sometimes then starts to feel crushing, and it starts to feel debilitating. And what I've learned in regard to the imminence of God is this, that in those moments when I'm starting to feel like I have to hold everything up, or I've got a whole bunch of things that, that really come down to either what I'm doing or what I'm trying to do, I have found that the healthiest thing that I could do in those moments to course correct is to remind myself of the gospel all over again. And what I mean by that is this. I need to remind myself that I don't have to sustain all things in my power, nor do I have the capacity to do that in the beginning. That's not something I've ever been able to do, nor is it something I will ever be able to do. That is a task that Scripture reveals that only Christ can accomplish. That's something that only Jesus can accomplish. He's the one who upholds the universe. Now, I can praise Him, for the fact that he does that and for the fact that he does so perfectly, but I don't need to do his job for him. And it's a mistake when I try to. And it's a mistake if you try to. 
We can serve Him joyfully. We could serve as He empowers us. But we can never adopt the mindset where we start to think that ultimately, like the world's going to crash if somehow we get pulled out of the equation or can't fulfill our responsibilities or whatever it may be. Christ upholds the universe. And His power, His sovereign power is extended in all directions at once. And He sustains what He's created. And I think that if we take time to just praise the Lord for His imminence, I think it can help us by reminding us that we don't have to be everywhere at once, upholding and trying to sustain things in our own strength. We could step back a little bit. We could take a breath. And we could start to find rest in Christ who joyfully accomplishes this task for His glory and for our benefit. Does anyone else here find it difficult, though, to rest? I find it difficult to rest. I actually have something coming up starting this afternoon um, that is going to hopefully allow me to rest this week. I hope. Uh, my family's doing something different that we've never done before. We, we, you know we like camping. But my wife worked at a camp up near Buffalo, New York, when she was growing up, called Bethany Camp. And they have something called Family Camp. So in February, I said, hey, why don't we go to that? Because her sister and their family, they go to that. And it's in the middle of the woods, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have cell reception or even the ability to do all the things that I'll want to do. I'm not going to have access to it. I'm going to have access to my wife and my kids and my nieces and my nephews and trees and water that smells like sulfur. That's what I'm going to have. And a pond that's got moss on it. And that's the pool. And that's, that's, that's what I'll have this week. And I keep thinking to myself, you know what? I think it's going to be great. And uh, by the way, please, by all means, if there's an emergency this week, or if there's an emergency that you've been waiting to bring to the church's attention, bring it this week, because Dylan is covering everything for me this week while we're gone, and he would love uh, all of that. Alicia will be answering the phone calls. Dylan will be taking care of all the emergencies. So whatever injury or surgery or dilemma you have, Dylan will be happy uh, this week to fill in. But I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but that's all true. So, uh, But I'm hoping, one of the things that I hope I get out of this week is rest. I just want to rest. I want to think about all the things that I normally do because I know that if I rest, I'll come back and I'll feel excited about doing the things that the Lord's called me to do. But it almost re it's like it resets the perspective where we start to realize it doesn't all come down to you. The Lord's doing His work. Yes, it's a privilege to be used by Him, but only He upholds and sustains His creation. We don't have to do that job for Him. He's the one doing that. And He does it perfectly. One other thing that Scripture tells us about the Lord that we can praise Him for, and this is where I want to wrap up today, and I don't know if you use this word uh, uh, very often either, but Scripture reveals to us that God is immutable. Well, what does it mean to be immutable? Well, it means that God doesn't change. He doesn't change. God's immutable. He doesn't change. He is unchangeable because in all His ways, He's already perfect. He's already perfect, so He doesn't change. There's nothing that He needs to learn because He already knows all things. There is nothing about Himself that needs to improve because He has been, He is, and He always be will be the, the essence of true perfection. God does not change. I like what it tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. That's very clear, isn't it? Right? 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Lord, do you change? Let me be very clear. I don't change, he says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The Lord says he does not change. Now, I imagine that in some ways the immutability of God takes us a little while to appreciate because it's completely different from what we're used to in regard to our own development. So biologically speaking, when you look at your life, when I look at my life, we spend our lives observing our bodies growing and our bodies changing. And at each season of life, we typically possess some kind of characteristic that pretty much goes with that season of life. I mean, if you look at me and I look at you, we could pretty well guess roughly how old one of us is. You know, when I look at a child, they might be three and I might think they're two, but I'm not going to look at a child and say, I wonder if that child's 15, right? You're going to look at a child, you're going to say, all right, you're like two or three, you're a toddler. You know, I'm going to look at a grown person. I'm going to say, all right, you're somewhere maybe in your 40s or 50s, or you're somewhere in your, 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 you know, 70s or 80s. But I'm not going to guess that a 70-year-old is nine, or vice versa. There are typically things that are characteristics of our day-to-day life or even our appearance that change in kind of predictable ways. So we grow taller, we grow stronger, we grow grayer. And if we're humble and if we're teachable, We also have the privilege to grow in wisdom and to grow in knowledge as well. But these are things that are growing. You and I, we're growing. We're in a process of growth. We're always growing. But such is not the case with God. He has no need to grow. He has no need to change. Nor could it be said that he was perfect if he still had room to change or room to grow. He's already perfect in every way, and he does not change. I also think that the immutability of God, the fact that God does not change, I think it could also feel like a foreign concept to us because we're just used to relational changes in our day-to-day lives. So it's not even just biological changes. Relationships change all the time. Just consider some of the relationships that you've had with others and how they've changed throughout the course of your life. Who did you interact with on a day-to-day basis when you were 10 years old? Do you even see those people now? I mean, many of the people that I interacted with when I was 10 years old are already in the Lord's presence. The cast of characters in my day-to-day life is very different from how it was 32 years ago, right? Or who in your life, this is a little bit darker, but it's very real at the same time. Who in your life did you once trust and feel like you had a good appreciation for, a strong relationship with, but then somewhere along the way they either abandoned you or betrayed you or were dishonest to you, and you don't really feel like you could trust or have strong relationship with that person now because the nature of the relationship has changed and it becomes very difficult to be in close proximity with somebody who you don't feel you can trust. Who did you once spend time with? But now you can't simply because they moved far away. And so they're no longer geographically close to you and so you can't hang out with them anymore because of geographical distances, right? These are all forms of relational change that we're used to. It's, our, so our bodies are changing, our relationships are changing, you know, our employment situation changes, you know, everyone we know around us is going through all these situations and changes, all these different seasons, all sorts of things, right? Change is pretty much a constant in our day-to-day life. And so when we talk about God being unchanging, when we talk about God being immutable, sometimes that's a bit of a foreign concept to us because it seems like everything in our life changes. It's like, yeah, it seems like just about everything is changing, but we can be confident 
that even though man changes, God does not change. He's not going to change. He has no need to change. He has and he always will be perfectly omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. He'll always be eternal. He'll always be good. He'll always be gracious. He'll always be holy. He's always going to be loving. He's always going to be imminent. There's never going to be a day when the perfect nature of God is going to mutate into something else. And even though all sorts of things are changing in us, and even though all sorts of things are changing around us, and even though our relationships with all sorts of people might change, I think we can take great comfort in the constancy and the immutability of God. God never changes. Personally speaking, I have to tell you, I'm encouraged by some of the implications of the fact that God doesn't change. Because what that means is that God's future plans aren't going to change. If God's not changing, His future plans are not going to change. Meaning, the ultimate outcome for what He has brought into existence is going to be fulfilled. Those who trust in Him are going to live in His presence forever. Sin, grief, sorrow, mourning, shame, all of those things eradicated. Hearts will never be broken again in the eternal state. Relationships will never again be damaged or severed. Loved ones will never be missed ever again. The unchanging joy of the Lord will forever prevail because God never changes. And the future that he's told us about is something we can be confident is secure in him because he's not going to change his mind about it. He's not going to be like, you know that picture I painted for you of a great future if you trust in me? Change my mind. I cannot imagine spending eternity with you guys. This is too much, right? All this talk and always asking me for stuff. Enough, right? Now, as human parents, you know, there are times that you could look at your children and look at your family and like, all right, don't, nobody ask me for another thing. No one touch me. No one say anything. No one do any. Everybody, you could be in the same space as me as long as you're perfectly quiet and I don't know you're here, right? Can you imagine if God acted like a human parent acts sometimes, right? Isn't it good that he doesn't? I would have gotten on his last nerve more time than I could count, and I'm grateful that God is unchanging, and that the future that he's promised you and me, he has secured for us, is anchored in who he is. It's not going away. He's not going to change his mind about it. And I'm also encouraged about this, and this is where I want to finish up today, but I hope this encourages you too. I'm encouraged by the fact that God's love for his children never changes. It doesn't change. Meaning, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, God the Son, you've been adopted into the forever family of God. <clears throat> That's what Scripture tells us, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you are brought into the family of God forever. And his love for you is a fatherly love that is not conditional. So if you're part of his family, there's never going to be a day where he's going to regret welcoming you in. There's never going to be a day where he regrets giving you his name. Even if you go through a low stretch in your life, or let's say you make a regretful choice somewhere along the way, God's love for you is not going to change in the midst of that. He's not going to stop loving you on your worst day, and He's also not going to love you extra on your best day. Because Scripture tells us that, that just as God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus Christ, so too does He love all who are in Christ by faith. Let me show you a couple things. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us of something that God the Father said in regard to God the Son, Jesus Christ. And he says this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, does God the Father love God the Son? Does the Father love Jesus Christ? Of course He does, right? He absolutely does. He says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you think of yourself as being loved by God in the same way that the Father loves the Son? Today, has that thought crossed your mind? That the way that the Father loves the Son is the way that He loves you? With that same kind of love? Look at what it says in John 17. In John 17, 26, Jesus is praying what's typically referred to as His high priestly prayer. And it's coming up toward His crucifixion. And He said this as He's he's speaking to God the Father. And He says, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What's Christ telling us? That through faith in Jesus Christ, we are loved by God the Father in the same way that God the Father loves God the Son. And we're looking at this attribute of God and we're thinking about the fact that God never changes. He is immutable, which means if you have a bad stretch in your life, You may be changing and going through all sorts of changes and bad decisions, but God doesn't change. His love for you is not something that is a conditional love. If I go through a stretch of time in my life where I'm just not feeling like I'm on, on, you know, in my A game, it doesn't mean that God's going to stop loving me because I'm not really in the midst of a good stretch. He may lovingly discipline me or correct me if I need that. That's certainly an aspect of His love too. But the point being, He doesn't change. God is not fickle. God is not fussy. There are people in my life that are fickle and they are fussy. And in some moments I think, hey, that person likes me. And in another moment I'm like, nope, they only like me when I do stuff for them. Okay, that's a very conditional relationship. God's relationship is not like that with us. Because God is immutable and He is unchanging, His love for those that He has made His children will not be altered, it's not going to be tarnished, and it's not going to be rescinded. And I think that that fact should bring us great joy and should bring great comfort to our hearts because in the midst of our changing world and our changing lives and our changing relationships, this is a constant of God that contrasts with every other relationship we have ever experienced. God doesn't change. He is immutable. God's perfect holiness, God's perfect imminence, God's perfect immutability, these are things that are fascinating to ponder. What a privilege it is that he gives us this ability to just praise him for these attributes that we can relate to him and have a relationship with him, that he makes himself known to us, that he allows us to reflect on these things, and that he he chooses to transform us through Jesus Christ while also assuring us that he will never change. That's a beautiful thing. That's something we could praise God for today. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for who you are. And we're grateful for what your word reveals to us about you. We're grateful, Lord, that you are holy and that you call us holy in your sight. As we trust in your son, Jesus Christ, you give us the gift of your holiness. And obviously, Lord, we don't deserve that, but Lord, thank you for allowing us to reflect your holiness in our lives as you empower us to do so. Help us to live a set-apart, distinct life in the midst of this fallen world. 
Lord, thank you for the fact that you are imminent. You are everywhere at once, upholding your creation by your powerful word. We don't have to do that job for you. You do that job. Only you could do that job. And so we're grateful to be the beneficiaries of that. And Lord, whenever we get to that spot where we might start telling ourselves that we need to do that job for you, please remind us of that truth all over again. Please help us to never forget that you are in sovereign control, upholding our lives and upholding this world. And Lord, we're grateful that you are immutable, that you never change, that you're not fickle and fussy, that you are the perfection of each of your attributes. Lord, we're grateful that these things are true and we're grateful that the implications of the fact that you are unchanging means that our future is secure in you and that our relationship is secure to you, that as we have been called your children through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, you're not going to change your mind about that decision. So, Lord, we pray that if we have faith in you, we pray that that faith would grow. And we pray likewise, Lord, that if there be anyone here today, whether it be children downstairs or adults upstairs, that as of yet has never come to a spot where they've trusted in you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would trust in you and would enjoy just the benefits and the blessings of your unchanging, perfect nature. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for even this upcoming week. We pray, Lord, that you give us moments of rest, just a respite in the midst of all the things that we try to carry so that we could be refreshed and so that we could be encouraged and so that we could appreciate you once more. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.